The podcast you are about to listen to is from St. Andrew's Park Circle. For more information about us, please visit standandrewsparkcircle.com. You you might be familiar with the British author Sally Lloyd-Jones. She wrote a fantastic little children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you're familiar with that, you know that it has some just incredibly kind of joyful illustrations and pictures. But one of the ways that this text really, really, I think, excels is that it tells this story of Jesus in a real whimsical way. And it does a great job of connecting um, Old Testament stories with the person of Jesus and his place in our lives and in the lives of our history today. And so if you're familiar with that story, you know that it has this way of talking about Jesus's mission. And it says, it says that Jesus came to make, and I love this, to make every sad thing untrue. I think that's a fantastic way of talking about the gospel. Jesus came so that every sad thing would come untrue. Generations earlier, the great author and thinker C.S. Lewis He would write this in The Great Divorce. He says, evil evil can be undone, but it cannot develop into good. Time does not heal it. The spell must be unwound bit by bit. The sad things must come untrue. Over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to remain in the Gospels as we take a look at four different intersections that Jesus has, four different conversations that Jesus has with some men and women through the Gospels. We're going to see how in those moments, over the next few weeks, how Jesus goes about making these sad things come untrue, how he unwinds evil bit by bit. We're going to see this in our lives as well, I hope. And my hope and my prayer is that when we arrive on that Easter Sunday, that Resurrection Sunday morning, we have this image of Jesus as the one who triumphs. We have a better view of him who has overcome, who makes the sad things come untrue, who unwinds evil in our lives, in our worlds, in our families, but just bit by bit, he goes about restoring all things. I hope we get to that resurrection morning with a magnified view of Jesus Christ. Our text today begins with an intersection, but not an intersection with a blind man or a woman at a well. The text today has Jesus having an intersection, a conversation with the tempter, with the devil himself. So before we open this text, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word today would show us Jesus, that in this Lenten season where we have confessions and we remember our own own fallenness, Lord, that we would find hope and encouragement as we look towards the great feast of Easter. So, Father, open your word. Fill us with your spirit, I pray. Replace this moment of questions and hardship with a moment of joy and peace, knowing that your word is true and that our Savior reigns. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to follow along, there's some black ESV Bibles in your pews. We're going to be on page 759. If you have your Bible on your phone, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. We'd love if you would follow along with us. 
Maybe you're familiar with this passage. This is actually a pretty well-known passage. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days, and the, the enemy, the devil, comes to him to tempt him, to test him. And there's lots of different ways that we could address this passage. We could, lots of different ways that we could apply this passage. We could ask, what, what is this passage telling us about how we could resist temptation? For example, we can see that Jesus quoted scripture when he refutes the devil. So maybe we should go out and learn a lot of Bible verses so when we're tempted, we could quote the Bible. That's, that's one way of looking at this. We see that Jesus was alone in the wilderness when he was tempted. So maybe it's not good for us to be alone. So we should get involved in a small group or a life group so we're not alone. That's absolutely one way that we could maybe apply this text this morning. Charles Spurgeon, he said, I would rather see too much in Scripture than not enough. But I do think there is actually a wonderful way that we could apply this passage to our lives this morning. A passage that's going to show Jesus as glorified and magnified. And so, so if we're not the center point of this text, what is going on here? I don't see anywhere you and I addressed in these chapters and these verses in Matthew. But I, what I do see is I do see Jesus confronted. And I do see Jesus resisting these temptations. And to answer that question, what is really going on here, we need to look at a hyperlink. We talked about these a few weeks ago. A hyperlink. You find them in your emails. You find them as little bits where you click on the, the hyperlink and it takes you to a different website or a different email. There's a hyperlink here in the text. It's meant to take our mind and take it back to another place where the devil was tempting someone. This is meant to be a hyperlink to remind us to go back to Genesis chapter 3, all the way back to the beginning. This is Genesis 3, specifically verse 6. It says this. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You probably know this story too, right? This is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, being tempted, taking, eating this fruit. Notice the actions there. They saw that it was good, they took it, and then they ate it. And then sin entered the world. Brokenness entered the world. We feel that, right? We feel that in all of, our, all of our parts of our lives. This is our hyperlink back from Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew, Jesus has been baptized. We see that in Matthew chapter 3. He's been baptized. He's heard the voice of the Father saying, This is my Son whom I love. And then we see that he's driven out into the wilderness. He's sent out into the wilderness by the Spirit. And we start in verse 1. When Jesus then, Jesus was led up into the, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The first temptation that Jesus faces is a temptation to eat. 
The first temptation that he faces is a temptation to eat. Matthew underlines that. He's been fasting for 40 days. If I fast for 40 minutes, I'm hungry, right? And so Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, and, he, and Matthew says, and he is hungry. And so the devil comes to him and says, turn the, if, if you are the Son of God, turn these, these stones into loaves of bread. The temptation is to eat. Did you hear the echo, though, from God's voice in Matthew chapter 3? God tells Jesus and his baptism, you are my beloved son. And the devil comes and says, if you are the son, then turn these stones into bread. The devil twists the word of God, just like he did in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say that you can't eat of any tree? No. The first temptation is the temptation to eat. Jesus knows who he is, not because of his present hungry condition and his ability to miraculously turn stones into bread. He knows who he is because he believes the voice of the Father who he's known from eternity past. Where Adam and Eve ate, Jesus does not. Jesus overcomes. Our text continues, Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is the temptation to take. For Jesus... This is the temptation to take matters into his own hands, to prove who he is in front of the world. For Adam and Eve, the temptation was to take, to reach out, to take hold of the fruit, rip it from the tree. The enemy says, surely if you're the son of God, he won't let harm come to you. The father wouldn't allow his son to strike his foot against the stone. Can you hear the, the voice of the tempter? Does God really love you? Does he really love you? If he, he would never let you strike your foot. Why don't you test him? Why don't you see? Hebrews 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and is yet without sin. Adam and Eve were tempted to take that fruit. Jesus is being tempted to take God's plan for his life, his plan for our redemption, and take it on himself, take it in his own hands, do his own thing apart from God's plan. Where Adam and Eve took, Jesus does not. For the third time, Matthew 4, 8 through 9, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Satan shows Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world. And with just one bended knee, they would be his. Just one taste of the fruit 
And Adam and Eve would be like God, knowing good from evil. Adam and Eve looked, and they saw that the tree, they saw that the fruit was good for food and a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve saw, and they sinned. Jesus, beholding not a tree, but all the kingdoms of the world in all of their glory, said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, serve only, and only shall you serve him. Where Adam and Eve, and you and I, and all of our humanity, and all of our human nature, when we succumb to sin, Jesus does not. Jesus is our second Adam. He is our better Adam. He is the representative that we need as his people. At the heart of Jesus' Jesus's temptation to take and to eat and to look is his willingness to trust God in his sovereign plan over our own comfort. You see, the Father's plan actually deals with our hearts. It doesn't just gloss over it. Satan offers Jesus Christ a bloodless path to glory, yet the Father's plan is actually an eternal hope for us. I find it interesting I find it interesting that by Jesus' trusting and his resisting of temptation, actually all of the things the devil tempts him with are given to him by his good heavenly Father. Jesus would get food, right? He would get food. In fact, he would multiply food. So that's not just a few loaves and a few fishes. It's actually thousands of loaves and thousands of fishes for our satisfactions found in him that Jesus would be lifted up, that he would be lifted up and seated at the right hand of the Father. But the kingdoms of the world would be his because God the Father would lovingly give them to his Son. Not taken, not seized. There's no mutiny here in the Godhead. Jesus receives these things for his faithfulness and our redemption comes with them. This is the Jesus that we worship. This is the Jesus who we want to adore and to magnify. This is the Jesus who invites us to find hope when we actually face temptation. Not because there's some life hack or some gimmick to overcome temptation that comes your way, but because we fix our eyes and our gaze on the one who has actually overcome temptation himself. And we find strength in Jesus. Where do you turn when you face temptation? When the stress level in your life rises? Where do you turn? This passage is not about you and I, but it is about Christ who unwinds the sins of our forefathers. And the very next passage announces there is a new kingdom at hand. And we are part of that kingdom. This passage is about how Christ has overcome. It's about how new life and new hope are offered to us through him. 
So listen, what do you do if you fail? What if you do when you, when you are tempted and you actually succumb? You worship Jesus. You worship Jesus who has overcome and who offers us grace. But what do you do if you succeed, if you do resist temptation? It's the same answer. You worship Jesus because he's the one who strengthens us and has, who has overcome. So whether you fail or whether you succeed, whether you resist temptation to sin and to walk apart from God, or you, you, you succeed, the answer is the same. We worship Jesus, the one who has overcome. So if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're maybe exploring what it means to have faith or to be a person of faith, then I would encourage you, the Bible says that you are either in Adam, meaning you are under Adam as his, your representative, or you are in Christ as him with your representative. And I would encourage you from Scripture, from my own life experience, from our family, from our church, that being in Christ is a source and a fountain of strength and hope and joy and laughter and love that I have not found any time I have been in Adam. So where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? If you're a believer, if you follow after Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, then let me say this. This season that we're in is called Lent. You might have noticed some of the purple and some of the different liturgy. And it's a season of Lent. It's a season of preparation as we prepare for Easter. And historically, the church has done three things to prepare for Easter. They've fasted, they've prayed, and they've been generous with the poor. So I would encourage you, don't fast from chocolate because it's a healthy thing to give up fast from chocolate because it somehow magnifies in your heart the sweetness of Jesus Christ. Don't pray the Lord's Prayer every day because it brings you peace. Pray daily because it draws you closer to Jesus Christ, to the one who has overcome. Don't find some way to be charitable because it makes you feel good. Be charitable because it helps us understand that we have received so much from Jesus Christ that he is freely given and we can freely give as well. We worship the one who has overcome. We can be vulnerable with our prayer requests and we can pray for others because Christ has overcome. This is about Jesus Christ. It is, it's not about being a better you or a better us. This is about worshiping the one who loved you and who gave himself for you. And it's an honor to do that together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ has overcome. Father, we thank you that he has resisted and that in him we have hope and faith. We find our strength in the one who has overcome the one who has resisted, the one who unwinds the spell of evil in this world bit by bit, the one who makes every sad thing come untrue. Father, we enter this time of offertory, 
of offering, not of our finances, but offering of ourselves and our hearts, offering of those quiet places in our lives back to you. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in our hearts now. Help us see Jesus.